0: Welcome to the TerraWatt Space Podcast, this is Aravind. Some quick housekeeping before we get to the episode. This is going to be my last episode as an independent consultant. From the 30th of August, I'm going to be working at Tomorrow.io as their Director of Strategy, Space and Federal. Even if I'm going to be part of the Tomorrow team, the goal of this podcast is not going to change. I'll continue to demystify the developments in space tech from an independent perspective. The interviews with thought leaders, investors and entrepreneurs in the space industry shall go on as usual. Although I should say, there might be some extra focus given to monitoring weather from space, an industry, I think, that is usually not talked about that much. So stay tuned for the new episodes coming up. I have some ideas that I want to try out so that you can get more value out of this podcast. Thanks again for all your support. In this very special episode, I'm speaking with Ray Goffer, the co-founder and chief strategy officer of Tomorrow.io, aka my boss. We discuss Ray's journey, how weather forecasting works and the role of satellites in it, Tomorrow's products, and why they decided to launch satellites in the first place, being a software company. Sit back and enjoy. Hi, Ray. Thanks for being on the podcast.
1: Hello. Thank you for hosting me.
0: Brilliant, so let's get started, and the first question that I usually start with is to ask guests to describe their story, Um, and we'll get to tomorrow.io in a bit, but could you talk about your story, and how did you end up doing what you're doing now?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, So, let's see, born and raised in Israel, Um, right after high school I joined the military, Uh, went to flight course, somehow graduated, didn't get kicked, Uh, to my great surprise, and ended up as an F-16 backseater. So I spent uh, a total of about 10 years in the Air Force, uh, mostly flying operationally, and then also doing a bunch of uh, other position in the headquarters around R&D and program management. So got to experience a lot of the kind of aerospace and defense and startup uh, world from within the military, um, and, and got to get engaged with a few really um, exciting development programs back back in the Air Force. Um, I left in 2014 and I moved to the US. I went to school at MIT and Harvard. I did a a business degree and a government degree um, and spent my first year at school working on indoor farming technology, uh, which was extremely excited, but I realized that technology had many, many, many years to uh, go before it could actually offer uh, real value. And then, uh, to my great uh, luck, two good friends of mine from Israel also moved to Boston a year after I had Itai and Shimon, and we sat down and you know said let's start a company, and our passion was was all about weather. We all came from the military, many years you know, pilot special forces, and we knew firsthand what weather uh, or lack thereof you know weather information meant. And we said let's just try to solve it. Um, luckily for us we didn't know much about this industry uh had we known we might have chosen something simpler but uh i think uh we were very lucky to enter it in a a pivotal moment and you know without getting to the story of the company just yet but you know it's been a phenomenal ride for the last five or so years uh, to where we are today
0: brilliant sounds sounds exciting and now to get to tomorrow could you explain what is the problem you're trying to solve because essentially you're a weather company and you know people might start to wonder and you know we'll come to how different you are from you know other weather apps that people may be knowing um in a bit but just what are you you know what type of problem are you trying to solve and you know what are your products sure um
1: so there are many ways to frame the problem we're trying to solve but the simplest one is is the following. Whether um, impacts the lives of each and every one of us in, in many different ways. And the truth is that despite tremendous investments and effort for decades, um, weather information is still not useful uh, for us, uh, both if you think at a global scale, it's, it's really poor in many different regions of the world, uh, but also in the most um, kind of, developed parts of the world, um, people are still struggling to make the right decisions with regards to whether what they should do in their pr- private lives, and definitely what they should do as a business operation uh, and governments. And so we're trying to help people uh, deal with those weather challenges. Um, the other element is with climate change, those challenges are now becoming extremely more intense and frequent. and hard to predict. And there is a huge investment gap and technological gap that we're solving to uh, make decisions much easier in that context.
0: Got it. And what type of uh, data are you trying to use today? Because there's a bunch of satellites up there from Mostly from the government, uh, both from I think U.S. and also Europe have a lot of satellites up there. And I mean, if I remember well, you're also trying to use other types of data, correct? So are you essentially trying to package that data and create a mobile app or you know a web app? Is that kind of what your product is?
1: Uh, well, maybe let's take a step back and, and understand quickly what kind of the weather value chain or the flow is from raw observation until a product and a decision. So Trying to really simplify it, we can break it down to three big steps. So the first one would be the data, the observations, and those are um, instruments like weather stations, weather balloons, buoys, satellites, radars, etc., that try to depict the state of the atmosphere right now in T0, and they collect information about temperature, wind, humidity, etc. cetera. Um, the second step would be models. So we take all of these discrete observations of the atmosphere, the oceans, the different air systems, and try to uh, predict how they'll behave in a minute, in an hour, in a day, in a week out, right? Uh, Or what they've done in the past, or what they're currently doing in places where we don't have observations. So we're essentially simulating those systems, fitting in the observations and trying to get the best guess for the data we miss. And then the third piece is, is the products, right? So a product would essentially take the output of a model, right, the forecast or the real-time conditions, and try to make sense of it for an end user. And an end user can be my grandmother using a phone app and trying to understand, you know, whether she should take her umbrella or not. And it can be, um, you know, an operator, a dispatcher in an airline, or somebody on a oil rig in the middle of the ocean, right? They're all users, and they each have very different ways uh, they consume weather information, very different ways they take decisions, and very different needs in terms of weather information, type of weather, regions, time horizons, etc. And so that's the framework. Now let's go back to the data, which was your question. There are many, many types of weather data, um, can roughly be sliced to in-situ and remote. So in-situ would be your weather station, or a sensor on board an airplane, remote will be a radar or something on a satellite, et cetera. And the reality that most people don't know is that to date, the vast majority of those sensors are government owned and government operated, meaning the biggest sensing networks we have today, whether on the ground or in space, are owned by governments. Um, And they're available to everybody and it's up to the, the users, you know, how good of a use they do in this data and we consume obviously all of it, et cetera. But what we do that is very unique is we say, oh, well, that's not enough. And there's huge gaps in this global sensing infrastructure um, that were used to be considered impossible to solve or to fill, and we're now filling them. So yes, we use all the government satellites, geostationary, low earth orbit, passive, et cetera, uh, radars on the ground, weather stations, but we say those are far from being sufficient. There is huge gaps and we're going to solve them. How are we going to solve them? The biggest gap that we've identified and that aligns with estimates from NASA, NOAA, US Air Force, Met Office and others is around precipitation. Precipitation is most probably the hardest geophysical parameter to measure just because of how, um, how uh, dynamic it is, right? Very high variability and it's really hard to measure, how do we measure it at global scale? The only way to do it is going to space. And the only way to measure precipitation from space with high accuracy is using an active instrument, namely radars. And so what we're doing today is we're building a constellation, first of its kind constellation of small satellites carrying active uh, sensing instruments, precipitation radars, that will cover the entire globe and offer very high revisit rate and very high spatial resolution, um, orders of magnitude better than what we have today.
0: Got it. Um, I'll get to the space part in a bit because that's kind of what most of the discussion <laughs> will be focused on. Um, I want to get back to you know your customers because you mentioned each customer or type of customer will have a different type of insight that they might need. So are they the customers then? So you, I guess, have a mobile app that is more aimed as let's say, a B2C market, and then you have a product that's aimed at B2B, you know, oil and gas or, you know, other types of operators. Um, is that kind of what who your customers are today?
1: Yeah, exactly. So we we serve everybody because weather, as I said, impacts everybody. Um, we serve consumers with our mobile app, and you can download it, Android, iOS, it's a great app to our IO, best app out there. Um, that's, that's for consumers. Um, I use it every day when I, you know, go out, um, we serve enterprise customers and that means anything from aviation think of like airlines delta JetBlue, united uh, transportation on-demand services uber is a customer of ours as an example uh, sports outdoors national football league others um, u.s open tennis tournaments those are customers of ours all the way to uh, federal governments. And we're working with the US federal governments and others around the globe in supporting their national weather services and supporting their defense uh, operations, supporting climate security across the board um, with our technologies. And so this is a really wide set of of, uh, customers. They all feed from the same core technology in the same platform.
0: Got it. Makes a lot of sense, and I think the question that'll be there on you know my mind and also a lot of listeners is how are you different from you know the the the, the names that we already know, the Weather Channel or the AccuWeather? Isn't that what they already do? Uh, or you know what what is it different about Tomorrow.io?
1: Yeah, well, two things I think set us apart uh, from the rest of the industry.
0: One is
1: um, we focus on solving weather-related problems uh, using a software tool. And the reason that that is extremely important is, um, maybe let me just quickly under- explain what, what's been going on until now. So until now, if you are say a power utility or an airline or whatever, and you come to one of these players you mentioned, and you say, well, I need this help with my weather challenges, what they'll do is they'll essentially match you up with a few meteorologists, and those few meteorologists will try to help you as much as they can. but. The challenge with that is few people, as good as they might be, and you know I've had the privilege of, of interacting with the best meteorologists out there as an Air Force pilot, um, their ability to support thousands of people in an organization, or even dozens, is extremely limited because there are only few people, and you can't talk with them all the time, and you can't talk with them while you're in an airplane or while you're driving, and you can't have other software tools interact with their brains and see what you know they need to do. And so that type of service, which is essentially people as a service, is extremely limited. The reason that was their solution is because they didn't have the technology that enabled them to solve for specific use cases with a software tool, right? What we're doing is we have a single software platform that doesn't just give you the raw weather data, which was what's going on until now, what's the wind, what's the pressure, that's fine, but I can't do much with that. What our tool is telling you, what do you need to do? And you can be anybody from a farmer to a construction site manager, to a pilot, to a dispatcher. And you basically say who you are, what your workflows are, and you have thousands over thousands of libraries with those workflows already embedded in the tool that can tell you, essentially, instead of looking at a weather map, looking at Um, a timeline and decisions on that timeline. It's a very different type of of game. And so that's one big differentiator. Again, insights, actions versus raw information. The second action, the second differentiator is really the backbone technology behind it. And kind of the untold secret of the weather industry until recently was that all the players you mentioned before, um, they've been around for decades, 60s, 70s, Most of what they do is they actually repackage governmental information. They take what NOAA provides, what the European Mass Services provide. They repack it with some different coloring and put it in an app and call it their own. But in fact, if you go to those government websites, you can get the same exact information from the government. It's no different because what these guys do are just repackaging governmental work. They have not engaged in the fundamentals of trying to improve the sensing networks, trying to improve the modeling. Those are massive efforts, extremely complicated, require a very different type of um, investment and of mindset to even start with. And therefore they don't really have that much added value on top of what's already provided for free. And we do, we build satellites, we invest in other sensing technologies. Uh, we run forecasting models. We, in fact, are under contract with the U.S. government to help it build its next generation forecasting system because we've developed in-house skills that are far superior to anything else out there relating to running water models in the cloud, running them in an effective way, running them much higher resolutions, et cetera. So we spend a huge portion of our resources on improving the base, the fundamentals of, of the weather System, not just the repackaging side, and that is the the second differentiator, and that enables us to operate globally and offer data quality, resolution, accuracy in, in regions where there is nothing today, because we do this this work.
0: Makes sense, and yeah, you you are building satellites, and you know I'll come to you know how you arrived at that decision in a bit, but before we move on to you know why you decided to do that uh i was curious so have you been interested in space at all i mean i know that you've been part of the aviation world um have you been interested in space have you been tracking developments in the industry at all
1: it's funny um i was to some extent but i can't say i was like a space geek um you know as a kid or or even recently um i've had experiences with space uh during my military service, obviously, as part of the Air Force, you, you do engage with it. And also some of the programs I've managed had to do with kind of similar components. Um, but really, I think my um, attraction to it came from the realization of what it enables in our world, right? So space as a means to an end rather than than a thing that's cool on its own, which it is. Don't get me wrong. It's just not where I came from. Uh, it was the realization that using this kind of new space, whatever name you want to call it, you know, technologies, you can now radically change an industry, an entire industry that touches each and every individual on, on the globe. Um, that was what attracted me to to get into space, learn about it, understand who's doing what, kind of the basic concepts, what's possible, get deep into our domain of weather and remote sensing. Um, and and now I'm in love with it. So now I definitely can say I'm a weather geek. I, you know, half of my YouTube uh, feed is, is space videos uh, of all sorts, including some bizarre stuff. But I, I really love it.
0: All right. So now let's let's talk about your decision to go to space. Uh, well, to be honest, you know, for me, I mean, I've been writing about mm-hmm. Earth observation and what's going on in space and I was really hoping for somebody who could come in with a problem in hand and then decide to launch satellites. Because historically, I don't know if you agree with it or not, Earth observation or even the, even these days, companies just decide that there is a technology available. Let's launch the satellites because, you know, we need to do that. And then once they launch it, they figure out what to do with the data, what problems to solve with it. And I've been writing about, you know, that there needs to be, you know, at least one company or a few companies that come in with a problem in hand that can then decide you know should we really launch satellites you know it's it's expensive it's tricky and then you know after all that due diligence decide to go ahead and do that seems like that's kind of what you guys did so talk to talk to you know talk to the audience about how the decision was made because clearly it couldn't have been an easy decision you know it's not Obviously, you know, some companies can decide that, you know, they're cool they are cool, and they want to go to space, um, uh, especially if they have a lot of money. But as a company, you know, as a strategy, it would have been a different decision, technically speaking and also commercially speaking. So talk to us about how, you know, how that happened.
1: Yeah, um, well, it happened much like you described it, right? So we we were not a space company. We didn't say, hey, let's go build satellites and then try to figure out. What these satellites can do, and who cares about it, and kind of, you know, went that way. We went the exact opposite way. We we're like the one car driving against the traffic in the highway, where we said we uh, we have a well identified, well understood problem, and we understand what that problem means to millions of different people and hundreds of different use cases, and after doing a lot of homework. And looking at many different approaches, you know, our story we started with this technology of leveraging cellular signals to retrieve precipitation because they're attenuated. Um, we've, we've really gone a long way before we said, well, the only way to really solve this problem, and by this problem, I mean the observation gap specifically around precipitation, but not just. Um, the only way to solve this problem is from space. Okay, so now let's figure out if it is even feasible to solve it from space. And our journey started with, um, with that question saying, well, we understand the problem. Um, we believe that solving it will unlock huge amounts of societal and financial value. Now let's go figure out if it's even feasible. And so it was kind of my baby and sort of a skunk work project to begin with, uh, because we did not want to to distract the company. Um, but, um, it was it was a well thought process um, that went you know between us team that said okay here's a problem let's see if it's feasible and then you know the journey started with first being very humble and saying well we know nothing so let's figure out who does and, and finding a uh, few really exciting experts you know we know a few I mentioned here is Professor Kerry Kahoy from MIT she's leading the uh, star a small sat group there. Um, Scott Williams from Stanford Research Institute, who is now part of our, our team, uh, and basically working with and others and, and, and working with them to figure out kind of what's even feasible, who's done what, what are the trades, what are the limitations, how should we even think about it, starting to build a network of, of other people who have more specific expertise in remote sensing, in radars, etc. And what we learned pretty quickly was, um, a, hey, we're not the first ones to think about it. There were a few radars on orbit before us. You know, NASA launched a few of them in late '90s and early 2000s. Um, but um, but there's still a long way to go from where state of the art was to where we were aiming, which is global coverage, high revisit rate, and Kind of the most recent effort that was done was RainCube by NASA JPL, and they've basically proven that you can shrink those, you know, 1,000-kilogram instruments to a CubeSat, essentially. Um, and they've showed KA-band radar from a 6U bus, um, really good data quality, but um, many other limitations with regard to the swath, the coverage on the ground, with regard to the duty cycle, how, off, how frequent the satellite can scan, et cetera. And so we first engaged with them and said, hey, hey guys, can we can we work on this together and kind of mature it to what we're envisioning, you know, a global scale, et cetera. And their response was, well, we don't really know the path from here to where you're targeting. And that was the moment where, you know, we said, well, great, challenge accepted. <laughs> we're going to try to figure it out ourselves. And there started the journey that uh, I would say is still going, but we've gone a very long way. Um, of designing an architecture solution that can do that, um, we were extremely lucky to, along the way, meet uh, people and organizations and, and groups that um, had pieces of the solution. If it's the radar system, if it's other elements, um, to a point where we are today with a very mature design that you know has a very promising path of, of doing that, and you know we're under contract to launch in about a year. Um, the decision to do it wasn't like a single decision. It was like, okay, let's figure out the next step. Um, is it? Should I even spend time on that, right? Because it's a, a year of just figuring out the basics. Okay, great. Sounds like we should. A year, year later or half a year later. Um, okay, seems like there is a viable path. Here's what it's going to cost to prove the first piece of it. Should we spend that money? You know, it's millions of dollars. We're a software company. We raised our money for to build a SaaS platform. Now we're coming to our investors and saying, hey, you know, we're being working <laughs> on this uh, concept. Oh, by the way, it's satellites. And we want to spend, you know, that many millions of dollars to prove it on a, on a demonstrator. We were great surprise. Everybody was extremely positive about it. But each each and every one of these decisions was kind of like, you, you go and collect a bunch of information, you learn the trades. You learn the kind of the spectrum of opportunities of what can happen between complete failure and success. What the implications of each of these are, and then you take a decision. I um, the biggest one was to actually start, you know, funding it. That was about a year and a half ago, and and it was, um, we had enough information on the need, on the feasibility. And on our ability to succeed, not just the science feasibility but our ability to execute on it that that made us say, "Let's go
0: brilliant I mean it's a nice you know framework um I hope you know you can." Detail it and document it somewhere, because it seems like you've gone through, you know, a framework of decision making, which could help a lot of companies, because, um, like you mentioned, you know, there's going to be a lot of companies, a lot of industries that are going to try and do that, try and do the same thing, because there's going to be a lot of companies, uh, a lot of industries that need to launch satellites to get different types of data especially if the data they think is not available so it'd be nice to know you know in detail everything that happens so hopefully you know once the project is successful you know you can talk about it as a case study um i was curious in terms of uh, the project itself Um, what kind of details can you share you know uh, you mentioned that the launch is planned for next year so are you manufacturing your own satellites then Uh, do you, have you selected who you're going to launch it with or, you know, all of that is, you know, kind of kept in wraps, um, until, until a point.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I can't share a ton of details. I'll try to share as much as I can. So we are, uh, launching the first two satellites on October of next year. Uh, we will make the announcement on the launch partner, launch vehicle, as well as our, uh, bus partner in due time, we are under contract with all of them, but we don't disclose them just yet. I think that the kind of, on that point, you know, we've we've made very strategic decisions on where we do and where we do not want to invest our resources. And the realization that this industry is, it's not yet at a point where you really have off the shelf services and, you know, being building a satellite is quite a, a you know, Extensive effort, and it's not like you can take something off the shelf, plug a bunch of cards in it, and it will work. There's that does not exist just yet. I don't think it, it will ever exist. But um, there is enough of a of an industry and enough of services based that you can outsource things that are not your core. In our case, launch is not our core. Um, spacecraft itself is not our core. Sensor is our core, and so we you know acquired all these capabilities, and I. We'll share more information about it down the road. Um, Mission, of course, is our core. Data assimilation and all all the things that happens to the data once it gets to the cloud is our core. And so that's where we invest our our efforts. Um, I guess other kind of dry details I can share about the space program is we're targeting uh, a constellation of KA band uh, radars. They are software defined, so they can do multiple different Scanning modalities. Our focus is on precipitation, but we will share other elements of it uh, down the road. Uh, they have wide swath, so they can cover huge uh, areas with single pass, and that enables us to achieve high revisit rates from a constellation of relatively small amount of satellites. Uh, and they will be in the fifty to one hundred kilogram size. So that's that's about as much as I can share right now
0: okay, that's uh, that sounds exciting. And I was also curious, um, what was the reaction of the industry? Because part of me thinks, uh, oh, you know, there are people, you know what what do they know about launching satellites into space? You know, part of me thinks that some part of the industry would have reacted like that, but part of me also hopes that there are you know, people in the industry who are excited by the possibility that, There is a software company, you know, who is, you know, doing weather related stuff, which is still, you know, not very far away from space, but still they'd have reacted like, you know what, they're a software company and they have a problem. So let's go kind of, you know, help them out. So I I kind of have both of these in my head. I don't know what really happened.
1: Yeah, I I guess we've heard both. Uh, But the the skeptics uh, dissipated really quickly as soon as they saw who's working on it, you know, uh, and and our track record so far on, on everything else we did. So you know we didn't take it lightly and say, hey, let's bring a bunch of you know um, undergrads and try to figure it out. We we basically were extremely privileged to be able to um, you know bring on board few of the industry leaders uh, from the respective domains. If it's space, uh, if it's kind of the entire space program, system engineering. To the science and instruments. And we literally have today a few of the brightest minds in this space globally, and folks who left NASA, folks who left uh, other really respected places to come build this program. Um, And so the skeptics are long gone, uh, I can say. And the traction we get and the responses we get from the most um, capable modeling centers around the globe the the strongest labs r&d labs for remote sensing around the globe uh i think are a testimony to you know what this program is and, and the execution of it
0: yeah absolutely and i think uh you know you mentioned what the reaction was and you know you could do, do you want to quickly talk about you know why you guys were invited to a testimony in front of the u.s congress i think that happened a couple of weeks ago um was that related to to the space announcement or is it because of you know what you can enable because of what you're building at tomorrow
1: it's the broader element so basically you know we, we're started engaging with um, the u.s federal government um you know via small programs a couple of years ago but mo- more seriously really just this year and the responses, you know, we've briefed dozens of congressional offices. The responses were just extremely positive and people saying, well, we've been waiting for this to happen. We've been waiting for you guys, you know, somebody from the private market to to kind of really push the envelope, not just replicate what government was already doing um, or kind of doing a little bit more of the same, but saying, here is something crazy that we're going to do that's possible. And I'm not talking just about the space program, because for those within the, the atmospheric science community that understand what we're doing on the modeling side, that is as ambitious and as crazy as what we're doing in the space side, right? Uh, it's it's a little more nuanced to explain, but um and so the responses from from all these, you know, congresspeople and staffers, et cetera, were extremely positive. And the reaction we got and the traction we got with them were, were really strong. And you know, it was I guess our honor to be invited. Uh, at such an early stage of the company relative to you know what typical typical companies have come to you know appear in front of the congress um but we are now i think very well accepted as an industry leader as a thought leader in this new wave of of earth prediction of weather and Congress understand that this topic needs a huge push uh, because the need you know with climate change is um is is urgent and we need every help we can in order to improve it and, and we bring it so
0: yeah absolutely i think all we need to do is just you know watch the news these days and you can kind of link uh you know everything that you're trying to do to what um you see on the news every day um all right i wanted to ask about you know competition also within let's say the space world i was curious you know how you think uh, because there are companies within the space industry whether it can be spire and i think geo-optics which is more on the radio occultation side or even just you know radar companies like ISI or capella and umbra and all that so how how are you different or you know are you complementary to them or you know how is how does the relationship work with all the offerings that these guys are doing
1: yeah quite honestly i don't think we're We can be compared to any of them. Um, So, you know, the SAR guys, they're doing imaging. It's a whole different world. The fact that you're using radar for imaging um, is really about the only similarity. They're operating X-band radars. That's a completely different beast from Ka-band radars. Far simpler. Uh, As an evidence, you have so many of them out there. Um, Ka-band requires many, many different elements that are far more complicated uh, on the front end and the back end of the instruments and the retrieval themselves, the target, you know, we're not trying to take images of houses and, and rivers. We're trying to take to see raindrops, <laughs> raindrops, are <laughs> orders of magnitude smaller. And, and it's, it requires a lot more, um, or harder capabilities. Uh, but it's just a different domain. This is imaging. We're in atmospheric measurements, uh, with regards to the RO guys, you know, um, RO has been around for decades um, and so far what uh, they're we're able to prove is merely uh, reaching the same performance that government, 20, 30 years old government instruments have already achieved just doing it a private money, uh, which is okay. Um, but I would say, you know, the biggest difference between us. There is a difference in the in the instruments and the sensing modality, which is like comparing a bicycle and a Ferrari, but that's not the difference that I think matters. The difference that matters is that we are a vertically integrated company and we're domain experts. We're not just going to space and, oh, by the way, we can also retrieve some measurements that are important to weather, so we'll do weather. We are a weather company, we're a weather technology company. We serve end users with a, a whole suite of platform, products models and observations and those guys you know there are sensor companies and there are sensor companies in space there are sensor companies on the ground in ocean that's great we work with many of them they sell data to us so we buy data from other players and you know they might sell data to us uh if it was valuable enough we you know we will consume it but um i don't think there is much of a comparison beyond that
0: All right, makes sense. Um, And one question that I was thinking is: you know, I was looking through your products and you have an air quality product. Um, I was curious, uh, I don't know if you have it in your plans. Do you plan on extending it to looking at emissions and kind of linking that to air quality? So, do you plan on launching air? emission satellites, uh, or, you know, link that, you know, linking your weather to wildfires, because there are wildfire monitoring satellites out there as well, a couple of companies. So I was curious, you know, in terms of diversification, is there anything on the agenda? Or is it just, you know, let's focus on weather and try to get the weather element properly, because I I thought that these two are kind of related as well in terms of what you're trying to do.
1: Well, here's what I'll say. Um, Number one, you know, we don't think of uh, this radar, as the only instrument, will launch. Um, it's a beginning, but I'm going back to our the beginning of our conversation, which is before you go and and spend cycles and money on you know launching a new instrument to space, you really need to make sure it solves a real problem and that that is not already being solved, right? That's the second element of it. So if you know you're going to be the third and fourth IR sensor for fires, or you're going to be the you know if uh, hyperspectral for you know, your um, application, then then you're a commodity, right? And, and it's not a great place to be, and so we really uh, doesn't mean we're not going to buy this data if it's there and it solves the problem. Great, we'll use it. And the uniqueness of our platform is that we run all these models better than anybody else. And these models are coupled in, in much the same way that those earth systems are coupled. So the oceans are coupled to the atmosphere. And if you want to understand smoke, you need to understand winds, etc. We run these atmospheric models in a way that no other company on earth does. And so we have this inherent advantage of um, being able to make much more sophisticated and profound use of this data than anybody else. does. Um, so if the data is there, and it's needed um put it that way if the data is needed first we'll see if it's there and if it's there we'll buy it if it's not there we'll go and build it um but at first it has to be needed right it's not just because the sensor exists and because it's easy or cheap to deploy an ir instrument we're going to build an ir instrument that that has proven to be a failed business model
0: yeah it is you know i i did uh write a blog post a few months later before about a uh... An unproven guide. I remember guide. it. I, I loved it. Yeah, and uh, I saw that happening in a lot of um, companies, but you know, glad it's changing, and hopefully, there's going to be more to come. But I'm I, glad that I uh, read your.
1: I gotta say, I read your flowchart there, and I was like, damn, this guy, you know, he really nailed it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Should have. I don't know. Uh, I don't it, know. It, if...
1: it, it described the, the thought process in a perfect way. So good, kudos on that
0: yeah thank you um i don't know how many people in the industry kind of link to that because you know they are thinking in a in a different way but you know glad that there's at least one case study i think i can kind of quote but um cool so few wrap-up questions um let's say it's 2025 uh, because if i remember well your consolation should be done in 2024 uh, let's say it's 2025 What does the best case scenario look like for um for tomorrow
1: yeah, I think the best case scenario, which I think is a realistic sen- a very realistic scenario, is that we have solved uh, the largest outstanding sensing gap uh, for weather and climate science today, which is understanding the water cycle and precipitation at a global scale. Um, and that means we own and operate the infrastructure, which is key to an unbelievable amount of use cases from emergency management and tropical cyclone forecasts all around the globe to things downstream like crop insurance in Brazil or in Africa or in India or uh, en route navigation for aviation or maritime, any point on the globe. Um, And I would say by then, we probably are also already working or have launched multiple other source and we've, uh, expanded our modeling capabilities far beyond where they are today we have a really ambitious plan there and our platform touches billions of people
0: which it will yeah that's uh that's pretty cool and you know you mentioned about the data gaps i'm just remembering about the um, the visual the map that i saw from the wmo the world meteorological organization that shows where the radars are today and you know i'll probably link it up in the show notes to for people to realize you know in terms of the gap, you know, the gap you mentioned about where the sensors are, usually these are all just in the West, I think, and maybe a little bit in Australia, if I remember well, and a few, uh, a few in India. Um, so, yeah, no, it makes, uh, it makes a lot of sense. And uh, one, let's say, personal question is, uh, so if you're not doing what you're doing today, what else do you think you'll be doing?
1: <laughs> uh, for me, it's pretty easy. I would probably go, uh, go back to to being a cook in a restaurant is what I did uh, in my spare time before uh, starting this company uh, after my military service and that's that's my passion and I can cook 24 hours a day and I love it So, so I would not no, no, that, I would go and work in an Indian restaurant.
0: <laughs> okay, no, not very related, I would say, in terms of, uh, or not something that I expected. Um, all right, so last question. Um, is there, you know, one line that you'd like to say to either the space industry, because those are probably who my, most of my listeners are, or in general, in terms of, you know, in terms of, it can be about weather or climate change, about space, whatever you...
1: Yeah. Um, oof. Well, I think you know the, the biggest message to this industry uh, is we can solve tremendous challenges for humanity, and we have kind of a once in a generation opportunity to really bring uh, to reality revolutionary systems across the board. It's not just earth observations, of course. It's not just weather. It's it's far more than that. And I would say, don't don't limit your imagination to what's possible. And go and seek the biggest problems you can seek and go solve them.
0: All right, brilliant. So thank you, thank you, Ray, for being on the podcast. And it was a very fun chat. Thanks very much. Hey, this is Arvind again. Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, please subscribe to the TerraWatch Space Podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Also feel free to sign up for my newsletter, TerraWatch on Substack. That is terrawatch.substack.com very attempt to decode the recent developments in space tech and its impact on Earth. Thanks again and hope to see you for the next episode.